Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. You know Charles Spurgeon, I think, the English pastor who died in, what was it, 1892. He was an evangelical pastor and writer. I think most of you know who I'm talking about, or you wouldn't be here, right? It's called The Glorious Habitation. It's number 46 in a series of messages that was created by Perry Boardman. You can go there and, and read these messages yourself online at Spurgeon's Gems. That's Spurgeon Gems, Spurgeon Gems with a G, dot com. Um, today's message, as I said, is from volume one, number 46. It was delivered on Sabbath morning, October 14, 1855, at New Park Street Chapel in Southwark. His text is Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Moses was the inspired author of three devotional compositions. We first of all find him as Moses the poet, singing the song which is aptly joined with that of Jesus in the Revelation where it says the song of Moses and of the Lamb. He was a poet on the occasion when Pharaoh and his hosts were cast into the Red Sea. It says his chosen captains also were drowned in the Red Sea. Well, further on in his life, we discover him in the character of a preacher, and then his doctrine distilled as the dew and his speech dropped like the rain in those chapters which are full of glorious imagery and rich with poetry, which you will find in the book of Deuteronomy. And now in the Psalms, we find him the author of a prayer, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, a happy combination of the poet, the preacher, and the man of prayer. Where three such things are found together, the man becomes a very giant above his fellows, it often happens that the man who preaches has but little poetry, and the man who is the poet would not be able to preach and utter his poems before immense assemblies, but would be only fit to write them by himself. It is a rare combination when true devotion and the spirit of poetry and eloquence meet in the same man. You will see in this psalm a wondrous depth of spirituality. You will mark how the poet subsides into the man of God and how, lost in himself, he sings his own frailty, declares the glory of God, and asks that he may have the blessing of his heavenly Father always resting on his head. This first verse will derive peculiar interest if you remember the place where Moses was when he thus prayed. He was in the wilderness not in some of the halls of Pharaoh, nor yet in a habitation in the land of Goshen, but in a wilderness. And perhaps from the summit of the hill, looking upon the tribes of Israel as they were taking up their tents and marching along, he thought, Ah, poor travelers, they seldom rest anywhere. They have not any settled habitation where they can dwell. Have they hear no continuing city. But he lifted his eyes above and he said, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. 
passing his eye back through history, he saw one great temple where God's people had dwelt. And with his prophetical eye rolling with sacred frenzy, he could foresee that throughout all futurity, the specially chosen of God would be able to sing, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Taking this verse as the subject of our discourse this morning, we shall, first of all, explain it. And then we shall try and do what the old Puritans called improve it, by which they did not mean improve the text, but improve the people a little by the consideration of the text. So first, we'll try to explain it somewhat. Here is a habitation. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place. Secondly, if I may use such a common word, here is the the lease of it. Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. So first then, here's a habitation. The mighty Jehovah, who fills all immensity, the eternal, everlasting, great I am, does not refuse to allow figures concerning himself. Though he is so high that the eye of angel has not seen him, though he is so lofty that the wing of cherub has not reached him, though he is so great that the utmost extent of the travels of immortal spirits have never discovered the limit of himself, yet he does not object that his people should speak of him thus familiarly and should say, Jehovah, thou hast been our dwelling place. We shall understand the figure better by contrasting the thought with the state of Israel in the wilderness. And secondly, by making mention of some things by way of comparison, which are peculiar to our house and which we never can enjoy if we are not the possessors of a dwelling place of our own. First, we shall contrast this thought. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place with the peculiar position of the Israelites as they were traveling through the wilderness. We remark first that they must have been in a state of great uneasiness. At nightfall, or when the pillar stayed its motion, the tents were pitched and they laid themselves down to rest. Perhaps on the morrow, ere the morning sun had risen, the trumpet sounded. They stirred themselves from their beds and found the ark was in motion, and the fiery, cloudy pillar was leading the way through the narrow defiles of the mountain up the hillside or along the arid waste of the wilderness. They had scarcely time to arrange their little property in their tents and make all things comfortable for themselves before they heard the sound of, Away! 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 This is not your rest. You must still be onward journeying towards Canaan. They could not plant a little patch of ground around their tent they could not lay out their house in order and arrange their furniture. They could not become attached to the spot of ground. Even though just now their father had been buried in a place where a tent had tarried for a time, yet they must be off. They must have no attachment to the place. They must have nothing of what we call comfort, ease, and peace, but be always journeying, always traveling. 
Moreover, so exposed were they that they never could be very easy in their tents. At one time, the sand, with the hot simoon behind it, would drive through the tent and cover them almost to burial. On frequent occasions, the hot sun would scorch them, and their canvas would scarce be a preservation. At another time, the biting north wind would freeze around them, so that within their tents they sat shivering and cowering around their fires. They had little ease. But behold the contrast which Moses, the man of God, discerns with gratitude. You are not our tent, but you are our dwelling place. Though we are uneasy here, though we are tossed from side to side by troubles, though we travel through a wilderness and find it a rough pathway, though when we sit down here we know not what comfort means, O Lord, in you we possess all the comforts which a house can afford. We have all that a mansion or palace can give the prince who can loll upon his couch and rest upon his bed of down. Lord, you are to us comfort. You are a house and habitation. Have you ever known what it is to have God for your dwelling place in the sense of comfort? Do you know what it is when you have storms behind you to feel like a, a sea bird blown to the land by the very storm? Do you know what it is when you have been caged sometimes by adversity? To have the string cut by divine grace and like the pigeon that flies at once to its own dovecot, have you sped your way across the ether and found yourself in God? Do you know what it is when you are tossed on the waves to go down into the depths of Godhead? There rejoicing that not a wave of trouble ruffles your spirit, but that you are serenely at home with God, your own almighty Father. Can you, amidst all the uneasiness of this desert journey, find a comfort there? Is the breast of Jesus a sweet pillow for your head? Can you lie thus on the breast of deity? Can you put yourself on the stream of providence and float along without a struggle while angels sing around you, divinely guided, divinely led? They sing, We are bearing you along the stream of providence to the ocean of eternal bliss. Do you know what it is to lie on God, to give up all care, to drive anxiety away, and there, not in a recklessness of spirit, but in a holy carelessness, to be careful for nothing, but in everything by supplication to make known your wants unto God. If so, you have gained the first idea, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Again, the Israelites were very much exposed to all kinds of noxious creatures, owing to their residing in tents and their habits of wandering. At one time, the fiery serpent was their foe. By night, the wild beasts prowled around them. Unless that fiery pillar had been a wall of fire around them and a glory in their midst, they might all have fallen a prey to the wild monsters that roamed the deserts. Worse foes they found in humankind 
the Amalekites, rushed down from the mountains. Wild, wandering hordes constantly attacked them. They never felt themselves secure, for they were travelers through an enemy's country. They were hasting across a land where they were not wanted, to another land that was providing means to oppose them when they should arrive. Such is the Christian. He's journeying through an enemy's land. Every day he's exposed to danger. His tent may be broken down by death. The slanderer is behind him. The open foe man is before him. The wild beast that prowls by night, the pestilence that wastes by day, continually seek his destruction. He finds no rest where he is. He feels himself exposed. But, says Moses, though we live in a tent exposed to wild beasts and fierce men, yet you are our habitation. In you we find no exposure. Within you we find ourselves secure, and in your glorious person we dwell as in an impregnable tower of defense, safe from every fear and alarm, knowing that we are secure. O Christian, have you ever known what it is to stand in the midst of battles, with arrows flying thick around you more than your shield can catch? And yet, Thou hast been as secure as if you were folding your arms and resting within the walls of some strong bastion where arrow could not reach you and where even the sound of trumpet could not disturb your ears. Have you known what it is to dwell securely in God, to enter into the Most High and laugh to scorn the anger, excuse me, the anger, the frowns, the sneers, the contempt, the slander, the the calumny of men, to ascend into the secret place of the pavilion of the Most High and to abide under the shadow of the Almighty and to feel yourself secure? And mark you, you may do this. In times of pestilence, it is possible to walk in the midst of cholera and death and sing with the songwriter, Plagues and deaths around me fly till he please. I cannot die. It is possible to stand exposed to the utmost degree of danger and yet to feel such a holy serenity that we can laugh at fear. Too great, too mighty, too powerful through God to stoop for one moment to the cowardice of trembling. We know whom we have believed and we are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed Unto him. When homeless men wander, when poor, distressed spirits beaten by the storm find no refuge, we enter into God, and shutting behind us the door of faith, we say, Howl, you winds, blow, you tempests, roar, you wild beasts, come on, you robbers. Again, the poet, he that hath made his refuge God, shall find a most secure abode shall walk all day beneath his shade, and there at night shall rest his head. Lord, in this sense, thou hast been our habitation. Again, poor Israel in the wilderness was continually exposed to change, 
They were never in one place long. Sometimes they might tarry for a month in one spot, just near the seventy palm trees. What a sweet and pleasant place to go out each morning, to sit beside the well and drink that clear stream. Onward, cries Moses. And he takes them to a place where the bare rocks stand out from the mountainside and the red burning sand is beneath their feet. Vipers spring up around them and thorny breaks grow instead of pleasing vegetation. What a change have they. And yet another day they shall come to a place that shall be more dreary still. They walk through a canyon so close and narrow that the affrighted rays of the sun dare scarce enter such a prison lest they should never find their way out again. They must go onward from place to place, continually changing, never having time to settle and to say, Now we are secure. In this place we shall dwell. Here again the contrast casts light upon the text. Ah, says Moses, though we are always changing, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place throughout all generations. The Christian knows no change with regard to God. He may be rich today and poor tomorrow. He may be sickly today and well tomorrow. He may be in happiness today and tomorrow he may be distressed. But there is no change with regard to his relationship to God. If he loved me yesterday, he loves me today. I am neither better nor worse in God than I ever was. Let prospects be blighted. Let hopes be blasted. Let joy be withered. Let mildews destroy everything. I have lost nothing of what I have in God. He is my strong habitation whereunto I can continually resort. The Christian never becomes poorer and never grows richer with regard to God. Here, he can say, is a thing that never can pass away or change. On the brow of the Eternal there is never a furrow. His hair is unwhitened by age. His arm is unpulsed by weakness. His heart does not change in its affections. His will does not vary in its purpose. He is the immutable Jehovah, standing fast and forever. You are our habitation. As the house changes not but stands in the same place, so have I found you from my youth up. When first I was cast upon you from my mother's breast, I found you, my God of providence. When first I knew you by that spiritual knowledge which you alone can give, I found you a sure habitation, and I find you such now. Yes, when I shall be old and gray-headed, I know you will not forsake me. You will be the same dwelling place in all generations. One thought more in contrasting the position of the Israelites with ourselves, and that is weariness. How weary must Israel have been in the wilderness? How tired must have been the soles of their feet with their constant journeyings. They were not in a place of repose, luxury, and rest, but in a land of journeying and weariness and trouble. 
I think I see them traveling, wiping frequently the burning sweat from their brows and saying, Oh, that we had a habitation where we might rest. Oh, that we could enter a land of vines and pomegranates, a city where we might enjoy immunity from alarm. God has promised it to us, but we have not found it. There remains a rest for the people of God, oh, that we might find it. Christian, God is your habitation in this sense. He is your rest, and you will never find rest except in Him. I defy a man who has no God to have a soul at rest. He who has not Jesus for his Savior will always be a restless spirit. Read some of Lord Byron's verses, and you will find him, if he was truly picturing himself, to be the very personification of that spirit who walked to and fro, seeking rest and finding none. Here's one of his verses. He says, I fly like a bird of the air in search of a home and a rest, a balm for the sickness of care, a bliss for a bosom unblessed. Hmm. Read the lives of any man who have had no gospel justification or have had no knowledge of God, you will find that they were like the poor bird that had its nest pulled down and didn't know where to rest, flying about, wandering, seeking a habitation. Some of you have tried to find rest out of God. You have sought to find it in your wealth, but you have pricked your head when you have laid it on that pillow, you have sought it in a friend, but that friend's arm has been a broken reed where you hoped it would be a wall of strength. You'll never find rest except in God. There is no refuge but in Him. Oh, what rest and composures are there in Him. It is more than sleep, more than calm, more than quiet. Deeper than the dead stillness of the noiseless sea in its utmost depths, where it is undisturbed by the slightest ripple, and winds can never intrude. There is a holy calm and sweet repose which the Christian only knows, something like the slumbering stars up there in beds of azure, or like the seraphic rest which we may suppose beatified spirits have when they before the throne continually bowing. There is a rest so deep and calm, so still and quiet, so profound, that we find no words to describe it. You've tried it and you can rejoice in it. You know that the Lord has been your dwelling place, your sweet, calm, constant home, where you can enjoy peace in all generations. Well, Spurgeon says, I have... I've dwelt too long on this part of the subject, so I'll speak of it in a different way. And right there, we'll have to leave him until next time. Thank you so much for being with us one more time today. Uh, please look around the site and check out the 3,000 audios that we have. 3,400, I think, right now. Uh, some of the church's great preachers and a whole lot of other things. I'll let you do the looking yourself, but thank you so much for being here. And uh, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. And Lord willing, uh, we're going to talk again real soon. This audio is being released 
on the 21st of February, 2023. God bless you.